Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. By her mid-twenties, Gwyneth Paltrow had leveraged her star-studded upbringing into a glittering career. She was winning Oscars, dating world-famous men and captivating the tabloid media. Also, she was about to meet someone who would change everything. Coldplay's Chris Martin. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello. Hi, how are we feeling? We are good. We are back for part two of our three-part series on Gwyneth Paltrow. And boy, did we cover a bit in our first episode. Yeah, boy, are we happy to be here. Guys, we covered so much in Ep 1, particularly when it came to Gwyneth Paltrow's family situation. I think before we dove into our research with this series, I did not realise how well connected she was from birth. She was born to her mother, Blythe Danner, the actress, and her father, Bruce Paltrow, two highly connected people in Hollywood. Yeah, she broke into the industry with her first role because she was actually cast by her godfather, Steven Spielberg, who she bumped into on the street at the movies. By 1994, she had met Brad Pitt on the set of a movie called Seven. And she has since said that it was love at first sight with him. Yeah. The following year, she did have that really harrowing story about an encounter with Harvey Weinstein in a hotel room that we discussed. We'll be picking that back up later in the series, Zara. In 96, Gwyneth got engaged to Brad, though it wasn't to be. They actually broke up six months after that engagement, leaving her completely heartbroken. Yeah. And like six months after them giving some of the most gushing quotes ever, Mm. particularly Brad. Now, it wasn't all bad. She won an Oscar in 1999 for her role in Shakespeare and Love. She was also dating another Hollywood heartthrob at the time in Ben Affleck, who she met on the set of the film. So we are rewinding back to that time. It's 1999. She's just 26. She's like this undeniable it girl. And with an Oscar in tow, she's on top of the world. All right, Zara. So professionally, Gwyneth Paltrow is on top of the world in 1999. But as the public would soon find out, things in her personal life were not perfect. In fact, it was in 1999 that the public learned Bruce Paltrow, her dad, was battling throat cancer. 
It was in her Oscars acceptance speech that Gwyneth thanked her father and called him her earthly guardian angel. She said he has surmounted insurmountable obstacles this year. Yeah, she actually had found out about her father's cancer the year before in 1998, as she wrote in her Goop newsletter a few years later. She wrote, I was filming the talented Mr. Ripley in Ischia, a little island off the coast of Naples in Italy. I got a call that changed my life. My father had been diagnosed with throat cancer and it was stage four. Yeah, Bruce Paltrow underwent surgery and in Gwyneth's words, brutal treatment in order to attempt to remove the cancer and go into remission. In understandable desperation, Gwyneth began researching alternative medicines for her father. Of this, she wrote, I began to read about Eastern medicine and the body's capacity to heal itself. I tried to get my father on board with mixed results. He loved acupuncture but hated macrobiotic food, which he likened to biting into the New York Times. I had read somewhere that in Asia, the concept of going to the doctor when you were already sick was akin to digging a well when you were already thirsty. That struck a chord with me. Yeah, it's actually interesting because it's only in the last six months I kind of realised or learned where a lot of Gwyneth's alternative leanings came from. It was Mm. with her dad's illness. Well, she was also smoking a lot up until this point. It wasn't like her own life. When you listen to interviews with her, it feels like her dad's illness was a line in the sand where she changed her own behaviours as well. Exactly. Now... As so many of us know, life doesn't stop when someone you love is very ill, which meant that Gwyneth had to keep working through her dad's illness and treatment. So she starred in several blockbuster movies over the next few years. Notably, she starred alongside her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Ben Affleck, in the (laughs) rom-com Bounce. For the record, during press for The Bounce in 2000, Gwyneth stated that she and Ben had definitely called it quits in a statement to Entertainment Weekly. It's so funny, this relationship, because we've barely touched on it, Mm. but it feels very much reflective of its seriousness maybe it felt very casual looking back well in her later interview with call her daddy that recent interview she really only looks back on the sex that they had there was she didn't really recall any emotion or anything like that she would speak a lot about emotion when it came to brad pitt she clearly had a lot of affection for brad and remembered a lot of the love they shared when she speaks about ben affleck she basically says he's amazing in bed and does give you the impression it wasn't very serious at all well i wonder if it's that thing where in your early 20s if you're engaged to the love of your life and then they dump you unceremoniously Mm. when you don't expect it if it is what you do to just move on to another hollywood heartthrob who you might not be spectacularly interested in but it looks pretty good is it giving taylor and maddie healy just a little bit a tiny bit yes <laughs> now in 2001 a 29 year old gwyneth paltrow starred in three films but it is shallow hell that we are going to focus on right now now of course lots of you will be familiar with the title shallow hell it was the highest grossing film that gwyneth made that year it made over 141 million dollars at the box office have you seen this film i have seen it's one of those films that has been played on television on like a friday or saturday night and i have caught i reckon over the years 75 percent of it but i've never watched it beginning to end have you i actually have that is a surprising detail from you and let us tell you we're going to unpack this film a little bit because boy was it controversial then and is it controversial now Mm. if you haven't seen this film it's basically about a very shallow guy called hal hal was played by jack black who gets hypnotized so that he can only see a woman's inner beauty 
He then falls in love with Rosemary, played by Gwyneth, who is actually a fat woman, but because of his hypnosis, Hal sees her as this thin woman. Yes. Now, obviously, there is obvious fat phobia going on with that premise. And the movie really is as bad as you think. Like, to do research, I was watching back some of the most controversial scenes. It is as bad as you would expect for a movie made in this time. Like, we're talking very early noughties and very offensive when it came to overweight people. Absolutely. Now, in order to play a fat woman, Gwyneth actually wore a fat suit for the role. And even at that time, the media did note that this was a bit weird. As per the ABC in 2001, super skinny girl who has everything Gwyneth Paltrow says she's learned a lot by wearing a fat suit for the upcoming comedy Shallow Hal, such as the clothes available to the weight challenged aren't quite as comely as those for the size two actresses of the world who knew. Mm. This art went on to quote Gwyneth on her experience of wearing the fat suit at the time. She said, the first day I tried the fat suit on, I was in the Tribeca Grand Hotel in New York City and I walked through the lobby. It was so sad. It was so disturbing. No one would make eye contact with me because I was obese. I was wearing this black shirt with big snowman on it. For some reason, the fat clothes they make here the journalist wrote, the Oscar winner stops to correct herself. The clothes they make for women that are overweight are horrible. I felt humiliated because people were really dismissive. Mm. Lots going on there. Lots going on. And we should say while there was plenty of criticism for Shallow Hell, true to its time, there was also a mix of positive reviews within that as well. Yeah, generally positive reviews, Mm. honestly. Now, I feel like as the you know fat acceptance body positivity movement has gained traction over the years and probably been given more space over the years it has become more apparent and conversations have been much louder about how the premise of this show was always deeply gross yeah like really yuck and reflecting on Gwyneth's involvement in this film the writer Megan Garber wrote for the Atlantic in one of the decidedly unpoetic ironies of this moment the woman described the sad minutes she spent navigating the world in a fat suit is helping to enforce those equations but Paltrow's is only one voice in a chorus that treats big bodies as deviant bodies Adele having lost weight is portrayed as triumphant Lizzo having not is portrayed as brave Mm. it's very interesting Interesting to me that still in these very sort of recent conversations, the shallow hell is still coming up in the context of Gwyneth Paltrow. This is how big it is as kind of a maybe a little black mark in her career. Yeah, as far as affecting her reputation or maybe the murkier decisions that Gwyneth has made, shallow hell is often mentioned. It's also worth noting that fat suits were really a thing in Hollywood in the early 2000s. As per the Chicago Tribune at the time, Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor, Julia Roberts in America's Sweethearts, and Martin Short, Damon Wyans, and Brad Pitt on television shows. The romantic pairing in DreamWorks animated movie Shrek is one of overweight ogres, lonely and outcast until they meet. Well, it's also worth noting as much as we're talking about how these were a thing in the early 2000s. They're still kind of a thing now. Mm. I mean, even when fat suits are worn in films, there's definitely very loud outcry, but decisions are still being made 
to use them. In that same piece, writer Lynn Smith went on, in certain scenes in which her face is visible, Paltrow wears a fat suit to play the real Rosemary. Paltrow later told interviewers how she felt ignored and invisible when she wore the suit in public. But her attempts to empathise with obese people fell short with biggest beautiful advocates like Marilyn One. She doesn't get the real experience where you can't take the suit off. She wants to know what it's like. She should ask us. Mm. It is kind of interesting when you consider this kind of scandal and controversy and the line of work she ended up pursuing, which was goop. I don't think it's outrageous for me to say it is interlaced with thinness. I think it's certainly interlaced with thinness and whiteness. So like, I mean, if you're constantly talking about macrobiotics and all these... Also having real power of your health. The idea of control is that you should be able to control how healthy you are, which... I personally find like a relatively troubling message because it's like a lot of people don't have power. Yeah, I mean, jumping ahead years in the timeline, this is the woman we see hooked up to IVs as she does podcast interviews. So to then know she also did Shallow Hell, it's an interesting juxtaposition to see those two images side by side in your head. Years later, in a promotional video filmed for Goop, Gwyneth said that her decision to star in Shallow Hell was, and I quote, a disaster. She didn't elaborate further upon that though. Yeah. Now, at this point in the timeline, we have to return to the subject of Bruce Paltrow's health, which by early 2002 was not good at all. Now, despite Gwyneth's best efforts to persuade her father to, you know, try her alternative treatments, Mm. his health didn't improve and he actually passed away in October 2002. It's a really sad story. The Paltrow family were on a trip to Italy to actually celebrate Gwyneth's 30th birthday at the time. On the Goop podcast, Gwyneth revealed, we were doing our first road trip after my 30th birthday and he kind of died on me. As per the Daily Mail, she continued, I said we have to go to the hospital. He had been hiding it from me because he really wanted to finish our trip. I was like, we are going to the hospital. And he said, we have got to get to the hotel. He was really trying. I was like, we are going to the hospital. And he ended up dying. Yeah, it's it's a really tragic story. Bruce Paltrow was only 58 when he died of complications related to throat cancer. And Gwyneth took her father's death extremely hard. Speaking about her grief on the Goop podcast, she said, when it first happened, I never anticipated that it was possible to have a feeling like that. It was not in my lexicon of emotions it was so physical it felt like it split me open yeah she continued after the funeral i was living in london and i woke up one night in the middle of the night and i thought i was having a heart attack the only reason i didn't call the emergency services was because i didn't know it was 999 in england but i thought i was dying it was really really tough i don't know how we got through it it was really messed up it's sad he's not part of my life now you can't help really feeling the grief pouring out of her when she talks about this. Yeah. And she still does talk about it a lot, about how this like really fundamentally changed who she is and her entire life. Her whole value system. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that you can be as rich and as famous and as privileged as anything, but grief will still touch you like any other human. Yeah, as she said, it will split you open. Now, it's funny how the universe works sometimes because just three weeks after Bruce Paltrow's death, in the midst of all this grief, Gwyneth would meet her future husband, but we're going to talk about that after the break.
All right, Zara, as you said, three weeks after her father died, Gwyneth met Chris Martin, the lead singer of the band Coldplay. They met under pretty unusual circumstances, to say the least. But before we get into how they met... Who the hell was Chris Martin at this point in time? Yeah, now in 2002, Chris Martin was about 25 years old. His band Coldplay was formed during his college years and exploded onto the scene with their 2000 album Parachutes and their breakthrough single Yellow. What a single to kick things off with. I went back and listened to this album. I actually, in our research for this, went back and listened to a lot of Coldplay stuff. I feel like I used to always listen to A Rush of Blood to the Head, Mm. that album when I was younger. And going back, it's so weird. Music is so nostalgic like that. It can send you back. Parachutes, though, total banger of an album. Oh, I think my TikTok algorithm picked up on me listening to this on my Spotify because I kept then getting fed concert videos of Coldplay, like from decades ago even. I just... I love Coldplay. I feel like we've kind of forgotten how great Coldplay is. Well, it's because they've always been relatively unproblematic. Mm. And again, I'll say that and someone will be like, they are problematic. (laughs) In terms of rock stars, they've kind of been pretty beige in Mm. the best way possible. Now, in terms of fame at this point in the timeline, Coldplay and subsequently Chris were enjoying a pretty rapid rise to celebrity status in the UK, but they hadn't quite cracked North America yet. During a radio interview in 2016, Gwyneth actually explained that her and her brother listened to Coldplay's 2000 album Parachutes as they mourned their father. She said, Chris wrote, everything's not lost before I met him. And I think another reason it's sad for me is my father had just died and we used to listen to it kind of on repeat. This album was kind of getting my brother and I through that death. Yeah. Funnily enough, there were dating rumours being spread around about Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin before they had even met. Here's a snippet of an interview that Gwyneth gave years later. She said, it's funny because people had started writing that we were going out and we had never even met. And then he was in Los Angeles doing a concert and an actress that he had a crush on was supposed to come to the concert. When she didn't show up, he was so annoyed that he said, oh, this is for my girlfriend, Gwyneth Paltrow. I was so confused when I read this story for the first time, right? So he must have been cracking a joke at the rumours and said this publicly. On stage in front of everyone. At the concert. She went on. Then people were saying, what's going on? I was like, I've never met this guy. I have no (laughs) idea. And because of that, because people were writing about it, we ended up meeting at a concert and there you go. So thank you. Because they had written so much in the press, his assistant came to my seat at the concert. They said, this is so crazy, but will you come back and say hello afterwards? And that was it. It's kind of sweet. It would be kind of embarrassing for everybody to be joking and talking about you dating so that you kind of have to meet each other because... Like, yeah, it's like your names are connected. It's like one of those funny things as well, where you meet someone and then you joke that you can get married within like three minutes of meeting. These two were like, well, everyone thinks we're together. So the joke is we'll meet and then see what happens. Yeah. And they certainly did. Now, the crazy thing about this is after that meeting, they seemed to move very fast. I love this part of the story, but just two weeks after they met for the first time, Chris Martin made a comment to a British newspaper. He said, I am proud to be with someone who's very nice and very beautiful, but she's not my girlfriend at the moment. I feel out of my depth with all of this. I met her for the first time at our gig at Wembley two weeks ago. It's early days. That screams of someone who is brand new to being a celebrity. Absolutely. Like not media trained. Not at all. That's the kind of 
thing you tell your mate at the pub. Yes. I've met this girl two weeks ago. It's going really well. I'm really into her. She's not my girlfriend, but like things are cool. Yeah, I know that probably people didn't text a bunch back in the very early noughties, but they're in the texting phase, essentially. He went on. He told this to the journalist. I got her number, rang her and asked if she wanted to meet. We went out at the weekend and we seemed to get on. We met up as friends and nothing has happened. We had a good time, though. I don't know when we're going out again. He was very innocent. Yeah, super lovely. That or he was trying to speak to her through the press yeah. in a really sort of not so subtle way. So lovely or manipulative. Well, exactly right. <laughs> now, sometime during this period, Chris wrote the famous Coldplay song, Fix You, about Gwyneth and her grief for her father. During an interview with Howard Stern, Gwyneth said, Fix You was about him trying to put me back together after my dad died. I think it's pretty nice. <sighs> For his part, Chris Martin told Mojo Magazine, Fix You, it's the best song because it almost single-handedly got us through a really difficult two years. You could say it's too soft or whatever, but it does exactly what it says on the tin. Even when I'm singing it, by the time I get to the end, I'm thinking, I like this. It is one of the more beautiful songs. Oh, I can hear it in my head. It's iconic. And I think when you know the quotes of Gwyneth and how much she was struggling at this time and then you listen to the song and you listen to the lyrics, you actually cannot help but get emotional. And you cannot help but get behind the love story of Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. It's very romantic to have someone write you a song like that. And such a good one. Well, that's the thing. It's like (laughs) I don't want my partner to write me a song because I think it would kind of give me the ick. Oh. But like he'd have to write. A masterpiece. Yes. He'd have to write Fix You for it to be an ick, <laughs> which is kind of like a hard challenge to set. <laughs> now the media had a field day with them as a new couple. Funnily enough, and I think we touched on this earlier, maybe because he was relatively new to this level of fame and scrutiny Chris seemed kind of keen to keep giving quotes <laughs> to the press about dating Gwyneth particularly in the first couple of years of their relationship yeah take this paragraph that was in an article in the sun as an example to be fair no one seems more surprised at the relationship than Chris Martin himself She's a big Hollywood star and I'm just the bloke from Coldplay, he gasped. Pop's principal odd couple have attracted an enormous amount of media attention, including repeated rumours of a split, with Paltrow's caddy Hollywood pals whispering that Chris Martin is simply a stopgap to help the actress get over the death of her father. The article went on. In some ways, they are well matched. Paltrow, zealous about healthy living, is said to be a homely girl who likes nothing more than a romantic night in. If that's true, then her new beau fits the bill. Martin's never been photographed falling out of the Groucho and has never dated an All Saint. God, that is so of its time. It's so of its time. Now, it's not just like kind of weirdly mean to Chris Martin. It's also very slut shamey to All Saints, the girl bound that mm. was very big at time now I was kind of surprised I think going back through this at how kind of mismatched the media thought they were at this time namely because I feel like the Chris Martin that I know is like a global superstar and the head of one of the biggest bands of all time I forget at this time he wasn't that yet yeah it's like the media didn't believe it because their celebrity status was so mismatched or something but I mean you look at it this way Chris Martin yes wasn't as famous but he was a very tame rock star who loved like humanitarian causes (laughs) and Gwyneth was this actress turned 
health fanatic who liked nights in. Like what's not compatible about that? Yeah, and we knew parts of that at the time. Like Gwyneth's reputation for being a health nut was pretty minor, Mm. but it was still starting to gain some traction. People always used to note that Chris Martin was never seen partying as if it was a bad thing. So you can see how these two got along. As per this piece by Barbara Ellen in The Guardian from 2003, it was probably only a matter of time before anti-style at Paltrow, no wheat, no dairy, no fun, <laughs> hooked up with anti-rock star Martin, no sex, no drugs, even less fun. Both of them are intellectually inclined to the point of being precious about their careers. Martin, a writer of pop tunes when it's all said and done, is prone to discussing his work with a po face gravitas that would shame a child cancer specialist. Oh my God. I need to unpack this. What does it mean, a writer of pop tunes when it's all said and done? I think there's a level of genius to be able to write songs that move people. What, we don't want things to be popular? They're only clever if the majority of people hate them. It's. I think it's the dismissiveness about art generally that we still hear a lot about. And yes, Chris Martin is not a child cancer specialist. I don't think he's ever <laughs> pretended to, to be one. I also doubt he's ever tried to compare what he does no. to saving kids' lives. I agree. And no disrespect to child cancer specialists. You guys are great. I think you already know that. How many world-famous rock stars are there in the world and how many child cancer specialists? You'd have fewer Chris Martins. He's very rare and he's got such talent as well. I don't know. I find this really interesting from the media that we don't want people to party too much because then we'll take pap shots of them leaving clubs and we'll say they need to go to rehab. If they don't party, we'll say they're not being good enough celebrities. Yeah, they're no fun. They must be so boring. Who's doing it perfectly then? Yeah, nobody. Gwyneth publicly commented on the boring allegations (laughs) in an interview in 2006. She said, there is this perception of us in this country like, oh, they're quite boring. They do yoga and they stay home watching UK gold. I think we're happy. We're not looking for other things in life. I think it's sort of funny how you have to be doing coke off the arse of some stripper (laughs) to be perceived as not boring these days. It kind of sounds like a nice life. Yeah, I mean, it's a gentle, quiet life and it sounded like it suited them just fine. Gwyneth and Chris did seem to be blissfully in love and that is a good thing because there was a baby on the way to Zara. On December 3rd, 2003, Gwyneth and Chris released a joint statement to the Associated Press to announce that they were pregnant. They were living in London at the time. Yeah, and just a few days later on December 10, it was also confirmed that they were married. Now keep in mind all of this happened just over a year after they had met for the first time at that concert at Wembley. As per people at the time, If Gwyneth Paltrow and Coldplay's Chris Martin seem a bit giddy these days, you'll have to forgive them. Not only are they expecting a baby, but they're also newlyweds, a source close to the actress tells People. Confirming recent wedding rumours, the source says Paltrow, 31, and Martin, 26, tied the knot in Santa Barbara, California on December 5, soon after receiving their marriage licence at Santa Barbara County Courthouse. Yeah, the report continued. The surprise nuptials with no family members capped a whirlwind week for the pair. On December 1, after visiting a doctor's office on Manhattan's Park Avenue, they acted like any other young, happy, expectant couple with Martin playfully snuggling and patting Paltrow's tummy. Yeah, Gwyneth and Chris welcomed their baby girl, Apple Blythe Alison Martin, to the world on May 14, 2004. <laughs> I do not think it is an overstate right now to say that Apple's name sent the world wild. Shall we unpack some of the media at the time? Because I, 2004, I would have been 10. I remember where I was. 
I remember this. I was sitting, this is so funny. I was sitting in my grandparents' study and mum like tore into the room. I don't know what it was. Vicky Andrews could not believe that Gwyneth Paltrow, who she was a big fan of at the time, would name her daughter Apple. And it was like a big family conversation at my grandparents' house. Genuinely, I feel like that whole generation, our parents' generation, could not believe that this baby was named after a fruit. (laughs) Now, the Scottish Times announced the birth by publishing a story with the headline, Core Blimey, Gwyneth's Had a Baby Apple. (laughs) Hello Magazine ran paparazzi photos of Gwyneth and baby Apple a month after she was born with the headline, Gwyneth takes the apple of her eye out for a stroll. It seemed that no one knew for sure how Apple got her name, but everyone was kind of desperate to work it out. Wired ran a story with one of the more out there theories in a report headlined Gwyneth's Apple Connection and said this, the baby's father is Coldplay lead singer Chris Martin. All four members of the band do own PowerBooks and iPads, and they use Pro Tools and Power Max to create both of their hit albums. Martin was even quoted in an Apple press release last year singing the praises of the iTunes music store. It's clear Apple has delivered a working and successful platform for their music fans to discover artists and purchase both albums and single songs instantly with ease, he said. We embrace these efforts enthusiastically and see them as the future of our business coincidence (laughs) so what that they'd been paid by tech company apple to To name name their their baby something tells me gwyneth and chris didn't need the money i agree (laughs) now people magazine took it upon themselves to publish their own explainer of this curious naming decision the article read forget the computer company and the beatles publishing company as influences gwyneth paltrow 31 and coldplay's chris martin 27 were inspired by a friend to name their new baby girl apple reports access hollywood Apparently, Martin's North American booking agent, Marty Diamond, has a daughter named Apple, and the couple asked his permission to give their child the same first name if they had a girl. Yeah, the real story eventually came from Gwyneth. In an interview with Oprah not long after the birth, Gwyneth told the talk show host how they came up with the name. She said, when we were first pregnant, her daddy said, if it's a girl, I think her name should be Apple. It sounded so sweet and it conjured such a lovely picture for me, you know. Apples are so sweet and they're wholesome and it's biblical. (laughs) Do you like the name Apple? I feel nothing. Mm. Now that I think about it, I don't love the name Apple, but I think when you compare it as well to the kind of celebrity names we see floating around in 2023, Apple is the least of our issues. Dare I say I think Gwyneth Paltrow is far more of a trendsetter than anyone will ever give her credit for. And I do believe she sparked this trend of really going there without their names. If anyone called their baby Apple now, no one would blink. No. But in 2004, it was wild. One thing about Gwyneth as well that I do quite like is that I feel she knows how to laugh at herself from time to time. Mm. And sometimes she takes herself very seriously, but other times she knows when to be self-deprecating. In 2020, when Apple was 18 years old, Gwyneth commented on Elon Musk and Grimes' baby name, which was... X Ash A12 on Instagram <laughs> writing, Chris Martin, I think we got beat for most controversial baby name. <laughs> now, after Apple was born, Gwyneth took a step back from her acting career to focus on being a mum. She had another baby named Moses in April 2006. Moses, according to reports, was named after a Coldplay song that Chris had written for Gwyneth. Some of the lyrics in that song include, like Moses has power over sea, so you've power over me. 
At this point in the story, we have to fast forward a few years to 2008. Now, after she had her children, Gwyneth took a step back from acting, only taking a few smaller, low-key roles from 2004 to 2007. By 2008, she was 36. Her children, Apple and Moses, were four and two, respectively. And she was living in London with Chris. Yeah. Now, after a bit of a hiatus from acting, she landed a pretty massive role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe playing Pepper Potts in Iron Man. Iron Man was an absolute box office smash. In fact, it earned nearly $100 million in its opening weekend alone. Amazing. Gwyneth was praised by critics for her performance, with several citing her chemistry with her co-star Robert Downey Jr., who played the titular Iron Man. As for her thoughts on her return to cinema, Gwyneth told the Toronto Star this, I suppose it's a comeback in a way because I definitely was hibernating for a while and I feel that now I am coming back to the world. I enjoyed making the film so much that doing the public appearances and promotion for it has felt really easy and not too intimidating. A lot has changed in my life and it's very nice to come back and feel that people are somewhat pleased that I've decided to come back. Yeah, however, she wasn't just working on her return to the acting world. She was also working on what would eventually become a booming multi-million dollar business venture. But back in 2008, this venture was looking pretty humble. In September 2008, Gwyneth launched Goop, which was a weekly email newsletter, which included an editor's note written by Gwyneth in each edition. The newsletter included recipes, cafe and restaurant recommendations, wellness and health regimens, and personal stories from Gwyneth about her life. We sadly could not get our hands on the very first Goop newsletter, but gossip blogger Lainey Gold gossip did report on the second edition that came out in October 2008. On the second newsletter, Lainey Gossip wrote, the second goopy newsletter was sent out yesterday. It's amazing. Amazing because it's Gwyneth sharing with her goopy membership her favourite places in London, where she stays, where she lounges, where she eats. The best part, you probably can't afford any of it. And true to form, my girl actually tells you that you probably can't afford any of it. (laughs) The story went on. Winnie writes, the first instalment of this three-part newsletter will include restaurants, hotels and pubs. The hotels are on the pricey side, but my Goop girls are doing some research into more affordable places, which we will personally try before recommending. Fuck, I love her. I really, really do. Because in her mind, she truly is being generous. It's the mark of the privileged, you know, like the old aristocracy. Being charitable is part of the status. It's what we do, they say. And so I believe she really believes that she's helping you. It's an interesting note of the time, isn't it? Because it's like... I feel like if she had launched this now, she would have got more backlash about the pricier things. We've just got used to it. Well, it's interesting because now we would want a celebrity to be cognizant of their privilege and we would demand that if something's expensive, they give us an alternative, more affordable option. It's funny that back in 2008, that was seen as boastful. Whereas now, if you don't do that, it's seen as not being aware of your own privilege. So true. It's like, you're lacking self-awareness, whereas this seems like a flex to be like, I do this, but here's a little option you can do for you. As for the name Goop, well, it is, of course, a play on Gwyneth's initials, but with a double O in the middle. As per the Wall Street Journal, Gwyneth's friend, Pina Arnell, a New York branding expert, had told her that all billion-dollar internet companies have two O's in them. Think Google, Yahoo. Recalled Miss Paltrow, I thought it was stupid and funny. (laughs) So what was the response to Goop like at the time? Many seemed to actually feel very similarly to Lainey Gossip. They were a little miffed that this very 
rich, very privileged celebrity felt qualified to give advice on such a wide breadth of topics. Some, though, were really intrigued by this unusual move from an A-list celebrity. As per Glamour magazine, have you heard of Gwyneth Paltrow's mysterious new web endeavor called Goop? I call it mysterious because her e-newsletters seem a little unusual, though interesting, and appear in my inbox kind of randomly. And there's the fact that the thing is called Goop. I actually really love the name Goop, for what it's worth. Genius. I think it's fabulous. Now, it's kind of interesting because, like, it does definitely pose the question, was Goop the first hint of what would eventually become of the influencer marketing space? Like, the original structure of the newsletter was personal recommendations from Gwyneth, including personal stories from her life. And it does feel very similar to the space that influencers occupy now, Mm. right? I just, again... Gwyneth at the head of everything. Yeah. Now, Gwyneth launched the original Goop website about a month after the first newsletter dropped. On the original Goop homepage, there was a short introduction from Gwyneth. It read, my life is good because I am not passive about it. I want to nourish what is real and I want to do it without wasting time. Make your life good. Invest in what's real. Cook a meal for someone you love. Pause before reacting. Clean out your space. Read something beautiful. Learn something new. Don't be lazy work out and stick with it. Interesting. I think back to what we were talking about earlier this episode with the shallow hell stuff. Don't be lazy, work out and stick with it is an interesting thing to note. Yeah. By 2009, so a year later, the Goop newsletter had about 150,000 subscribers. That is massive. For this time, I don't know if I subscribed to a single newsletter back in 2009. For her newsletter to have 150k subscribers is huge. Yeah, and it might not sound like much in the context of today's numbers because everybody's online, but again, this was 14 years ago. A few years later, the New York Times magazine investigated the early use of Goop and provided a little more insight into the more calculated and specific side of the soon-to-be company. This is how the piece read. Gwyneth talked about how she only ever wanted to be someone who recommended things. When she was Italy on the set of The Talented Mr. Ripley, she'd ask someone on the crew about, say, where the best gelato was. When she was in London on the set of Shakespeare in Love, she asked a crew member where to find the best coffee. In Paris, she asked an extra where to find the best bikini wax. In Berlin, the massage you can't miss. She wasn't just curious, she was planning this whole time. Yeah, the report continued. At first, Goop appealed to an audience that admired Gwyneth Paltrow's rarefied lifestyle. Martha Stewart, for example, was an aspirational lifestyle brand, true, but the lifestyle was so easily attainable once Stewart took her wares to Kmart and Macy's. Gwyneth Paltrow didn't want to go broad. She wanted you to have what she had. The $795 G-label trench coat and the $1,500 Bedany Verdon S&M chain set. Why mass market a lifestyle that lives in definitional opposition to the mass market? Goop's ethic was this, that having beautiful things sometimes costs money, finding beautiful things was sometimes a result of immense privilege, but a lack of that privilege didn't mean you shouldn't have those things. Yeah, I mean, I still don't know how you're getting your hands on it without any of that money, but that's fine. Goop, of course, as we know now, was not just destined to be a newsletter and a website featuring Gwyneth's favourite cafes. In our next episode, we're going to investigate how Goop became a multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar company (laughs) and how they couldn't escape scandal after scandal (laughs) after scandal. (laughs) I cannot wait for our final instalment of this Gwyneth Paltrow scandal series. Guys, 
Thank you so much for sticking with us. As always, we will have content up on our social channels. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and watch along for all the nostalgia. Yeah, big thank you as always to our researcher Eilish Gilligan. I am having a blast doing this one and I cannot wait to be back in your ears, well, on Thursday for our Pop Culture Wrap, <laughs> but also on Monday for part three. Bye, guys. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.